There was the Ann Gettys universe that existed in so many commercial products, but she hasn't really been able to translate that for the online world. Hi, I'm Andrew Goldstein, and this is The Art Angle, a podcast from Artnet News where the art world meets the real world, bringing each week's biggest story down to earth. Nowadays, with the coronavirus relief efforts and the gradual reopening of society in the news day after day, it can sometimes be hard to think about anything else. That's why it was so surprising earlier this month when one of our breakout hit stories on Artnet News of the coronavirus era didn't have anything to do with the virus, or at least not much. Instead, it was an article about the unexpected career challenges of one of the most famous and, by some, beloved artists in the broader pop culture. Her name is Anne Geddes, and she is the queen of baby photography. Noor Brara, Artnet News's style editor who joined our team from Vogue last year, was the one who wrote the article, and a beautifully well-crafted piece of work it is. You should read it. In the meantime, I'm delighted to have Noor on the podcast today to tell the story behind her story, because it involves a bit of a twist. Thanks very much for coming on The Art Angle, Noor. Thanks so much for having me, Andrew. So, a few weeks ago, you suddenly became very excited about Anne Geddes, saying there was some big story to be done there. Where did you get this idea from? Uh, one fine day in the kind of early days of the coronavirus, I had just kind of been scrolling around on social media, feeling a little bit down about how everything had been going and things felt a little bit bleak. You know, we'd been self-quarantining for quite some time and everything just felt sort of humorless and the novelty of cooking and cocktail making and attempting to write my opus had had kind of worn off. And I suddenly had the idea to visit Anne Geddes' Instagram for a bit of fun. I was definitely expecting to see kind of her images of babies dressed up in silly costumes. And that's not exactly what I found when I got there. So I'm going to make a confession. I had never heard of Ann Geddes before you pitched your story. How and when did you first encounter her work? That's pretty surprising, Andrew. Like a lot of 90s kids, I sort of grew up with her coffee table books and her calendars and greeting cards. I think my mom actually may have had a copy of her first book down in the garden, which is sort of the starter kit to the world of Ann Geddes. She photographed these meticulously staged scenes of babies dressed up as fairies and flowers, you know, tucked between the folds of tulips and taking naps in pea pods. And I just remember being really enchanted by those photographs as a kid um, and then a little freaked out by them as I got older. So she photographs babies in these adorable situations. How does she approach her work? How does she choose her babies? Does she only pick supermodel babies? Are there supermodel babies? Right. So there's no such thing as supermodel babies per se, but there are uh, baby modeling agencies and they are much stricter than you might imagine. Hmm. There are a lot of rules and regulations, arguably much more so than for fully formed humans. A shoot with a baby can cost thousands of dollars. And in some cities, babies are only allowed on set for up to 20 minutes and they need a work permit. Um, it seems to be just as much, if not more involved of a process as hiring a regular model. Now, I'm, I'm not an expert, but I think babies are not exactly known for following directions. How does she get the most out of these tiny models she works with? Right. 
So the key, she says, is to always shoot in the morning when babies are less irritable and to make sure that they are well-fed. Um, the parents are asked to kind of stand in the background and everything from the costumes to the props have to be perfectly arranged well in advance. The shoots don't take very long at all and they really have to go exactly according to plan. Sometimes they're all of 10 to 20 minutes. The pre-production time can run up to six months in advance to make sure that all of the outfits, all of the, the kind of staging is just ready to go as soon as the babies arrive on set. And Anne has actually also mentioned that the most difficult kids are the ones who give the best pictures because they're generally the ones who are most expressive. So ultimately, it's really about not letting any minute go to waste. So it's just like with uh, regular supermodels. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Try not to piss them off. (laughs) Okay, so where does she come from? What is her backstory? How did she become Anne Getty's queen of baby photography? So Anne Getty grew up in Australia. She was raised on a farm um, and actually never had her photograph taken as a baby, funnily enough. She met her husband, Kel, and she moved with him to New Zealand. And Kel actually launched the country's first commercial television network. And he also photographed himself, so he had a lot of cameras in their home. Hmm. She became interested in photography and started taking pictures, specifically portraits of families. She really enjoyed photographing children and loved how they would all come to set in their Sunday best. So she parlayed that into a 10-year career shooting classical children's portraiture. Eventually, she became bored by it and was inspired one day to try something new after reading bedtime stories to her two girls. And she just, she loved the sort of magical uh, fairy tale element of those books. And thus, the Getty style was born. She began shooting babies with sort of more fantastical backgrounds and props. She did a greeting card collection and a calendar And both of those things were incredibly successful, which then went on to the book proposal for Down in the Garden. And that was arguably the thing that made her career totally take off. So describe one of her kind of iconic photographs. Paint a picture for me. (laughs) Yeah, there's a photograph of three lush green pea pods. And betwixt the individual peas are three little babies. Um, that was one of the more famous photographs from Down in the Garden, and I think was one of the images that kind of put Anne on the map. People really loved how enchanting the photograph was, how it captured the purity of babies, and what we all find uh, to be so magical in new life. She really loved to create these scenes of wonder around babies, tap into how naturally beautiful they are. And what happened to Getty's career after Down in the Garden turned into a major success? Where did she go from there? So that's kind of when Anne Getty's became a household name. She was invited on the Oprah Winfrey show to talk about Down in the Garden. And Oprah actually lifted up the book and said, this is the best coffee table book I have ever seen. And from there, the offers just started rolling in. She went on to publish three more coffee table books, which remained on the New York Times bestseller list for a very long time. They won awards. She began shooting, let's say, celebrity babies, including um, the Crown Prince of Monaco. She worked with Celine Dion and collaborated with her on a book called Pure. She was in high demand everywhere, not only for individual portraits, but also for, you know, 
calendars for more coffee table books, for greeting cards. It was really around the clock work for her. And that's really how Anne carved her success. How would you explain the source of the appeal for these pretty silly baby photographs? You know, I think that people do just love babies, as she rightly says. People love looking at photographs of of newborns and kind of what the promise of new life can convey. I also think that people have a little bit of a morbid fascination with her and the images. They are as charmed as they are freaked out by them. And some of the images, I think, are a little kitschy, maybe not as as elegant or as um, enchanting as some of the others. Hmm. It's it's a weird idea to kind of stick a baby's head into a flower and pretend that it's a natural thing to do. And And the way that she shoots these scenes makes them seem so lifelike and everything just comes together very seamlessly. And Anne has always said that if you feel compelled to turn away from a picture after more than 10 seconds, it's not a good picture. And I mean, it's definitely not a value judgment to say that she's kitschy because, you know, it seems that she's always positioned herself as this hardworking commercial artist who bootstrapped her way to the top, you know, of the, of the baby photography world. Um, and she also started doing some really incredibly positive things with her position. Can you talk a little bit about the Gettys Philanthropic Trust? Yeah, so Anne has always been passionate about giving back. The Gettys Philanthropic Trust was really created to raise money for the prevention of child abuse and neglect in all its kind of various forms. It was begun in 2007. And since its start has kind of designated funds to NGOs from all around the world, totaling over $5.7 million, and has a particular passion for protecting victims of meningococcal disease, which was witnessed in devastating outbreak in New Zealand when she was living there with her young family. It's a rare bacterial infection that can strike children up to four years old and also teenagers that can lead to brain damage, deafness, the loss of limbs, She has dedicated a lot of funding to victims of this particular disease, and uh, a lot of the proceeds from her calendars have gone directly towards this cause as well. So I was doing a deep dive into Anne Getty's photography in preparation for this podcast, and it seems to me that her work with the survivors of meningococcal disease are actually some of her most distinguished, sincere, and maybe even interesting from an art world standpoint work which is kind of interesting because she's so famous for the babies. But at some point, it seems that things started to take a turn for the worse for Gettys. What was it that happened? Yeah, so it was really kind of the arrival of the internet and the iPhone that I think made a real dent in her business. We just as a society used to rely so much on paper products, coffee table books, calendars, greeting cards. They were the staples in our life for gift giving and keeping track of our days. And these things are not published as much as they once were and certainly don't pay as as they once did. And it's really about the erasure of those forms that have kind of led to I wouldn't say the downfall, but certainly kind of the staving off of Anne's career. She really modeled her business on the success of those forms and in a way failed to adapt them for the internet age. 
I think that she is very concerned that people will take her images and run with them online and she won't see any financial return. She's very aware of the viral quality that her images have. And I think, ironically, in many ways, she was one of the first people to create a personal brand for herself. She branded everything, the calendars, her coffee table book, you know, mugs and t-shirts and posters. There was the Ann Gettys universe that existed in so many commercial products, but she hasn't really been able to translate that for the online world and is actually quite reluctant to, to kind of make the internet crazy for her products. It reminds me a little bit of growing up in the 1980s and seeing those far side desk calendars where you would peel off one of the days and there would be another cartoon behind it. And these things were like the coolest, most fun thing you could have. But now, I mean, they're totally gone. <laughs> right. Different world. It definitely is. And, you know, she's been very candid that her photo shoots for her books and her calendars can cost anywhere from 250000 to $350,000. Wow. So I could understand why she may not just be satisfied with the idea of going viral on Instagram. That's crazy. So what was it that really tipped you off to the dip in her career? I think really going on to her Instagram that day, expecting to see a lot of new imagery and exciting new projects, as I had kind of imagined that she would be working on. You kind of think of Anne Geddes as this untouchable figure in many ways. But what I found on her Instagram was... First of all, a very sweet project that she's been doing called The Joy Project, where she features the photograph and story of a child somewhere in the world that is having kind of a moment of happiness, a moment of joy in these dark times that we're finding ourselves in through the coronavirus era. But I really wasn't able to find any new work whatsoever. And I continued to sort of scroll into her feed and saw that the last image that she posted of of kind of newer work was a 2016 shoot where she shot babies as signs of the zodiac. And so that was a little strange to me because I thought she's Anne Geddes, she's an icon, she must be doing such great things, especially because she does have that sort of viral value that the internet would just eat up. But that in fact was not the case. I learned when I was researching just a little bit more about what happened to her shoots that she launched a Patreon through which she has been pretty candid with her followers that the photo shoots that she's been doing for these books and calendars um, are not sustainable for her to produce on her own. She needs to crowdsource them now. So it was actually quite surprising to see that she is asking for uh, financial help from her fans. So Patreon is this crowdsourcing platform that allows artists to ask for subscriptions from their fan base to support them without having to make specific, you know, direct sales. Uh, It's kind of this novel form of patronage. How is she using it specifically? So as you mentioned, Patreon allows creatives to amass patrons um, or paying subscribers who then have access to exclusive content and live talks with a lot of these people who have Patreons. And the paying subscribers are usually super fans who are looking for some kind of content that they wouldn't be able to find anywhere else. Um, On her Patreon, 
and is able to give people kind of the background stories about what happened on certain shoots that have become so iconic. She gives tips to aspiring photographers. She talks about projects that she would like to do and how people can contribute to that becoming a reality. There are different tiers that you can subscribe to. There are people who pay as little as $3 a month. And for that, they get a thank you video message that's personalized from Anne herself, as well as access to her Facebook group and to kind of fan forums where Anne will pop in and just say hello. There are other people who will pay up to $50 a month and they will get access to an exclusive blog or diary entry. They will get a signed calendar, a special mug, an invitation to a monthly live stream with Q&A sessions, maybe even a personal note from Anne on the one-year anniversary of their membership. Um, And in exchange, Anne will use this money to fund her photo shoots and donate the royalties of whatever come from those shoots, whether that's a coffee table book or a calendar to a philanthropic initiative. But she really, at this point, is asking her fans to contribute financially to work possibilities at this point, just because she's not able to bank on those opportunities from uh, the paper products that once funded her career. It's at this juncture in your story where you, Noor Brara, secret and Getty's aficionado, (laughs) actually got on the phone with Anne to talk about what's going on. What was that like? When I initially got on the phone with Anne, I was expecting to speak to a person who was full of sort of joie de vivre and had a lot of humor about her work and could get into the stories of all of the fun photos that I so loved growing up. You know, and the first question that she asked me actually was if I had kids and if I did, how I was faring through coronavirus with small children. I don't. But I think that while that passion is still really important to her and while she still very much does want to continue making this work, she is very frustrated and she's feeling very kind of upset about what has happened to her career, how she hasn't really been able to parlay it into the digital age in a way that allows her to make a financial return on her work. So it was a conversation about her past memories, which she recalls with some amount of pain. And she was very candid with me in in talking about how it's been a struggle for her. Uh, She talked to me about how she has a lot of ideas that she said would blow people's minds, but that she's not able to create any of them. And she doesn't really want to even talk about them and she didn't want to share her ideas with me because she's still holding out hope that one day she will be able to make them happen. You mentioned that her shoots can cost between $250,000 to $350,000, which is kind of like the numbers that you would associate with with Annie Leibovitz at the, the peak of, you know, Vogue and Vanity Fair and Condé Nast. How is it possible that a baby shoot can cost that much? It's pretty surprising, and it surprised me as well, even from someone coming to um, coming to the story with a fashion background. Well, she's worked for a long time with a costume maker and prop stylist using kind of the best materials from the best fabrics to put these babies in to just the most amazing background stages. And a lot of these things require huge sets, um, a lot of studio equipment, a lot of overhead charges. It's like filming a movie, she tells me. And she also shoots on film. She doesn't shoot 
digitally, which, of course, adds an insane amount of cost. Ultimately, she could probably have those shoots cost less, but I think it's really all about the drama of the shoots that she so loves and and kind of what makes everybody fall in love with her work, and Hmm. she is unwilling to kind of reduce those those charges. So in, in your article, you write that Getty's trajectory here is actually a microcosm of how the business of studio photography itself has changed over the past 20 years. Can you explain a little bit? Sure. The proliferation of the iPhone and the arrival of the internet has has had a major impact on the careers of a lot of studio photographers, um, especially the more traditional photographers like Anne, who shoots primarily on film. For somebody like Anne, you know, she's frustrated that nowadays everyone considers themselves to be a photographer just because they have access to a camera, even on their iPhones. And you have a lot of sort of young kids who are charging a lot less money. Their production value is a lot cheaper and they're shooting totally digitally. But I think also those those means of having access to print products through calendars and coffee table books has really, you know, taken away a lot of opportunity for somebody like Anne, whose photography career was very much tied to kind of a commercial uh, industry like the publishing industry. (laughs) So how are her attempts to adapt to this new environment working out? How how is her Patreon faring these days? Anne Getty has 58 patrons across all tiers, and she has quite a few fans online on Facebook and on Instagram, but those fans and and what they're able to contribute doesn't necessarily parlay into um, the money that she would need to restart her career. So I think in many ways, the Patreon helps to kind of keep her name alive, but certainly doesn't come anywhere close to helping her with the funding that she so needs to continue making her projects. It is a way also for her to be able to talk about her struggles. And I think that um, has given her more of a platform in in kind of a social sense, in a way where she's able to talk to people who love her work. But I don't think that it's helping her all that much financially. And I'm not sure what she plans to do kind of moving forward if she does expect to get back into the studio again. Wow. Well, at least it's not her only way of monetizing her audience. Because in fact, if you visit her website, you'll find that she sells all kinds of stuff there. So it's not just photographs. What else does she offer on her website? Um, yeah, so Anne, Anne has a lot of different products that she's been able to push on her website. There are Anne Getty's puzzles. There are Anne Getty's mugs. There are even checkbooks and debit cards. There are baby costumes you can order to dress up your own kids at home in, in the Getty's uh, style. So this sounds like the business that she had mastered has evolved into something that is very inimical to her way of working. But do you think that her work is relevant? Do you think that her work is going to have a a longevity that goes um, beyond its immediate time of the 80s and 90s? I think that's a really interesting question. Um, in some ways... I would argue that her work has the potential to be even more relevant now. I think we are and have become, in many ways, much more of an image-loving society on the whole, just beyond the art world, given that everybody is on Instagram and everybody's looking for an image to kind of obsess over. And her photography certainly has that obsession value. But um, I I do ultimately think it comes down to her inability to work in new ways and to kind of get 
on track and, and get sort of internet savvy. I think that people remember her with a lot of fondness. Certainly as a kid of the 90s, I do. Um, and I, I hope that she's able to kind of go digital at some point in the near future. Well, thank you very much for introducing me to this fascinating and multi-layered artist who I had sure. never known about before. And, and thank you very much for coming on the podcast. That's it for this week's episode of The Art Angle. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Also, take a moment to rate and review us. It will help other listeners discover what we're doing. The Art Angle is produced by Tim Schneider and Caroline Goldstein and edited by Nick Long. Thanks for listening and see you next week.